Welcome to the Post-COVID Church Podcast with your host, Stuart Kellogg. Welcome on today's show, Dr. Jim Dennison, co-founder and chief vision officer of Dennison Forum, is focused looking at cultural issues from a biblical perspective, which we all should do a lot more of, and we'll talk about that. Prior to launching Dennison Forum in 2009, he pastored churches in Texas and Georgia. He's the author of multiple books, including recent titles, How Does God See America? Making Sense of Suffering in the six-volume series, Biblical Insight to Tough Questions. His doctorate of philosophy and master of divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Janet, live in Dallas, Texas, have two sons and four grandchildren. Thank you very much for coming on to the Post-COVID Church Podcast, Dr. Dennison. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today. It's my privilege. I do think we should circle back and talk about those grandchildren just a bit. Uh, I have have uh, been in the club too, so I know exactly, yes. Uh, But we'll do that at the end. How's that? (laughs) There you go. I've been told grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your children. (laughs) And I am here to say, I think that's true. I absolutely do. What a joy. Can you explain what the Denison Forum is uh, and exactly what it does? You bet. Thanks for the privilege. Yeah, we believe there's a great need for a movement of Christians who will use their influence to shape the culture for Christ. And our part of that is to help people think biblically about the issues that matter most in the day. And so I get up every morning pretty early, about four o'clock, and finish an article that we email out to about 300,000 subscribers, a little more than two million in social audience, based on that day's news looking at what's happening in the current culture and how we can understand that biblically, uh, not so much in a partisan way, in fact, not at all a partisan way, not thinking just as kind of a columnist so much as trying to help us think biblically. What would God say about this issue and what should we do about that as a result? Out of that comes podcasts for the Daily Article as well. Do a lot of video across the week. Uh, The books that you mentioned, the website, the white papers, the in-person speaking, the media I get to do. But it's really a cultural apologist who's trying to help people think biblically about cultural issues so they can use their influence for Christ. Well, the whole focus of the post-COVID church is looking forward to what the church has to become uh, on the other end of this pandemic to regain its influence in the culture. What do you see as the biggest issue facing the post-COVID church? That's a terrific question. I'm also a resident scholar for ethics with Baylor Scott and White Health in Texas, the largest not-for-profit healthcare system in Texas. And in that space, I'm in our board meetings quite often, and I see a good deal of what's happening on the healthcare space in the context of COVID and what's on the other side of that. And it seems to me that essentially as we're responding to this horrific pandemic and what comes on the other side, the thing I would most want Christians, Christian leaders, churches to do is be men of Issachar. First Chronicles 1232. People People who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. People who will seek to understand the culture, who will seek to reframe these challenges, and most significantly, trust more intimately and personally in Christ. They'll have a personal relationship with Jesus on a level we haven't had before, a level of dependence, a level of of intimacy, whereby he can use us to speak through us to the issues that are ahead of us. Because I have to say, as I'm looking at the future, I'm very concerned about what I think is ahead of us medically, what's ahead of us culturally, what's ahead of us politically. But I do believe Jesus is bigger than all of that, and he wants to redeem all of that for his glory and our good. Is one of the issues you see, and especially being a former pastor, Mm -hmm. people are too content. I accepted Jesus. I got it. I'm going to sit around and wait for heaven. 
Absolutely. No question about it. This is where our evangelical emphasis on being born again, having a salvation experience that is so critical, is such a valuable and obviously uh, incredibly important thing. That's how I came to Christ, out of a bus ministry at the age of 15 from a church that believes so much that every person needed a personal salvation experience. But the other side of that, at least for some of us in the evangelical world, is we haven't emphasized enough the ongoing nature of that salvation experience, the sanctification that the Lord intends in our lives. We get you saved and don't know what to do with you, almost. We tell you to go to church and be religious and, and do the things we tell you to do, but we don't really emphasize what it is to have an ongoing, personal, intimate, dependent relationship with the Lord Jesus. He says in John 15, 5, by, without me, you can do nothing. If we're not attached to the vine, we can't save souls. We can't convict of sins. We can't shape marriages and homes. We can't do anything eternal or spiritual. If we're not intimately connected to Jesus every single day, he can't use us the way he wants to. But it takes work in the sense of you got you to gotta work at it and think about it. You are an apologist uh, defending the Christian faith. What should church leaders do uh, to strengthen the Christian worldview in the pews? Now, first thing they should do is decide they want to do that. Decide that they want people to think biblically, right? They want people to live biblically. They want people to process scripture for themselves and, and learn what it is to experience the, the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives personally. I'm thinking of Paul who said to the Corinthians, I want to give you meat, but I have to give you milk. Well, milk is digested meat. A lot of Christians are happy to have their pastors digest the word for them or a podcast like this or somebody they're listening to on the radio podcast the word or digest the word for them. So the first thing to do is to is to create in the hearts of their people a hunger for more of God's word, for intimacy with him, for a desire to think biblically. Then second, we have to give them tools by which they know how to do that. I was asking a radio interview recently. I'd been talking about the importance of thinking biblically about cultural issues. So they said, well, how do you do that? Give me practical terms. How do you do that? So I got as simple as to say, go to a Google search engine, open Bible or something like that. Type in the topic that is the news issue of the day. See what the Bible says about forgiveness or repentance or censorship or what the issue might be. Go to what scripture actually says and then align your thinking with, with what the Bible actually says and see what God wants you to do about that. So if second pastors will give their members tools to think biblically, that's critical. And then last, provide accountability in relationship. This has done so much better together than separately. Uh, coals go out if they're separated. They stay lit if they stay together. So uh, encourage small groups, encourage community of people who will think together through the word of God, how that applies to their lives. My guest is author and apologist, Dr. Jim Dennison, author of the email newsletter, The Daily Article. You illustrated the difficulty of applying a Christian worldview uh, to big contemporary issues when you outline the pros and cons mm -hmm. of um, removing President Trump after the U.S. Capitol siege. That's where it becomes tougher, isn't it, with those issues that are so divisive? It does. It truly does. not That's where Ephesians 4.15 is so important to us, speaking the truth in love. And it's both, isn't it? It's speaking truth, biblical truth, not my opinion, but biblical truth, but doing so in a spirit of love and grace, humility that says we're beggars helping beggars find bread. My job in that article, for instance, was not to offer my opinion, wasn't try to convince you that I am right about the subject, whatever that might be, but to give you biblical tools 
by which to come to what you believe God is saying to you in the course of this conversation. So you can have that discussion with other people in a way that draws people closer to Jesus. I will say one of the things I'm really concerned about in these highly partisan, hyper-partisan days is believers using the social media platforms in ways that are advancing personal opinions in divisive contexts that drive people away from Jesus. A long time after the inauguration, a long time after all of this is done, Jesus is still going to be Lord. He's still going to be King, still going to be on his throne. We want to be using these days to draw people closer to him, not push them away from him. And we need to shut up and listen sometimes, don't we? <laughs> so do I. First of all, I have to listen to the word of God. Then I have to listen to the people of God. I have commissioned people in my life to hold me to accountability, to say to me when they think I'm getting into opinion rather than biblical truth, when they think I am speaking out of a spirit that isn't the spirit of Jesus. It's vital to do that. We need a Nathan who can say to David, you are the man and show us when we need that kind of spirit. And if right now someone's hearing this and thinking, you know, I don't really need that, that may be the person who needs that the most. What surprised you most about the evangelical reaction to the DC riot? It was on two levels. The first, obviously, as I was watching and absolutely horrified was the degree to which, first of all, some jumped to conclude this could not have been us. This could not possibly have been Christians. This could not possibly have been church members. Had to be Antifa. Had to be terrorists that were brought in under the guise of, and I'm not saying that none of that happened with all the thousands of people involved. I certainly wasn't there. I have no way to know if that was true or not on some level. But we now know enough to know. There's been enough facial recognition. There's been enough identification of people that did selfies and videos and all of that to know that a great number, a huge percentage of those involved were people that were people active in church life, people active in some kind of evangelical Christian faith. And that was one thing that surprised me and distressed me was the degree to which we just assumed this couldn't be the case. The other was the degree to which we wanted to say, okay, that was a one-off. That is a horrible event that happened on January the 6th, but it has no past and it has no future. It has no larger context. It just kind of happened. And once it's over, it's over. And that's just, I think, not true. I think it had a history. I think it's got a future. I think it's indicative of a larger issue inside our culture of distrust of the political process, distrust of the electoral systems, distrust of our leaders. It goes back a long ways. Only 18% of Democrats thought that George W. Bush was fairly elected in 2000. 66%, I think it was, of Democrats believe that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians in 2016. And now 67% of Republicans are convinced that the 2020 election was rigged. And so they're deep, divisive issues in our culture that the riots were indicative of. And tragically, I think there is more ahead on that on that score. How does the post-COVID church, which I think we agree, the church has the best weapons to cure this, whether it's the racial divide or the political divide, individual churches and people, what do we got to do? First thing that we have to do is say, Lord, there, but for the grace of God, go I. It's like Gypsy Smith said, the great evangelist, who was asked, how do you start a revival? Say, get a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, get on your knees and pray till everything inside that circle is right with God. So first of all, God, show me where I've been speaking out of turn, where I've been using my social media influence in ways that are being divisive rather than gracious. Show me where I need more to be filled with your spirit. It's every single day. Ephesians 5.18, being filled with, controlled by, empowered by, submitted to the Holy Spirit of God where we start the day that way. We start by getting alone with Jesus 
and we're saying, Lord, show me what to say today. Submit the day to him and walk through the day like that. It's John 15, 15, where Jesus said, all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So we want to be listening as Jesus was listening. Mark 135, he got up a great while before day and went to a solitary place and prayed. So we need to do that. Start the day by getting alone with Jesus. Second, use our influence within community to encourage others to do the same thing. You have influence. You have social influence. You have community, local influence. You have a Jerusalem in which you live. Lord, show me the people I'm to be influencing at this point. And then third, use your larger influence to the glory of God. I believe more Christians are being called into public service than are answering the call. I'm convinced Christians should be more involved in the political process. They should be obviously praying for our leaders, as 1 Timothy 2 says. We should be writing emails and letters to our elected representatives. We should be showing up at school board meetings and city council meetings. Salt's no good in the salt shaker. Light's no good under the basket. So third, ask Lord, where should I be engaged personally in being the change I wish to see? My guest, Dr. Jim Dennison, co-founder and chief vision officer of the Dennison Forum. When you talk about uh, the split, uh, one of the issues that I've written about and feel strongly about is that the evangelicals have refused. They pulled their punches. When they see something unbiblical, if it's with an R, they let that slide. Uh, speaking truth to power in love means we got to speak truth to power no matter who, correct? It's absolutely true. And we do need to count the cost. We do need to know that these days that will come at a cost. Years ago, when we were starting this ministry, it's a donor-based ministry, so I was meeting with a very dear friend of mine who'd been a strategic thinker and leader for a long time, and he asked how we planned to fund that. And I said, well, it'll be donor-based so we can give the content away. He said, well, who's your enemy? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you want to raise funds, you have to do three things. You have to convince people they have an enemy. You have to convince them they can't defeat their enemy. And you have to convince them you can defeat their enemy if they'll give you money or vote for you or whatever the thing is you want them to do. And he was in a way kidding because he knew we didn't want and don't do that. But isn't that a common thing to do? Isn't it a simple thing in a very complex, very difficult life where we're trying to keep our marriages together and raise our kids? It's so easy to think in a binary fashion. Everything Republican is good. Everything Democrat is bad. Everything on my side is right. Everything on the other side is wrong. I know who the enemy is. I know what I need to do about that enemy. That is such a binary, but such an unbiblical way of thinking. I remember a year or so ago when Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, made the point that God is not Democrat or Republican. And then, in fact, there were biblical issues for which he felt Democrats were better champions than Republicans. And he talked about immigrants. He talked about the impoverished. He talked about those that were disadvantaged by systemic racism and prejudice as being issues for which Democrats were more, uh, more in leadership than Republicans. And I remember the pushback that he got. And this is Tim Keller, one of the best-known pastors, authors, one of the most revered Christian leaders in America. But the pushback he got from people that were not wanting him to step outside this binary that they've constructed for themselves. So it will take courage to speak truth to power, even when that power is inside the body of Christ. But the more difficult it is, the more urgent it is. I read uh, recently in Christianity Today, uh, Bonnie Christian uh, mm -hmm. wrote about this issue of evangelicals being seen as a block. She said, what does it say about us if the first name that comes to mind when our neighbors hear evangelical is not Jesus? Mm -hmm. That's what Isn't that a good about. question? Isn't that a good question? <clears throat> when they think that evangelical means, and it doesn't mean Jesus, we've got to figure out what's wrong and make it right. 
C.S. Lewis, I remember reading, said that if you're going the wrong direction, the first thing you have to do is stop, retrace your steps until you're going the right direction. The longest way round is the shortest way home. Well, it may be that we, many evangelicals, are at that point right now. Now let's take a, a little twist and think positively. <laughs> what, have, what have you seen during this pandemic from churches or individuals that made you sit up and say, wow, that's great. I wish more did it. It's on two levels. First of all, I've seen churches caring about people in the community on a very entrepreneurial, very creative, very, uh, very strategic level. And it's really, really exciting to see this. An example of this, there's a church in the Houston area with whom our ministry relates that's been especially focused on families and children for many, many years. That's really in the community known as their kind of their sweet spot. Well, when last uh, spring, the pandemic uh, closed schools and parents overnight find themselves homeschooling, many of which had no background at all for this, this church very quickly put on their website resources to help parents deal with this and then spent a lot of money marketing that to their community to tell people that's there and it's free and available to anybody. Pastor told me they had 10,000 people in their immediate community with whom they had no previous relationship come to them seeking those resources. That's a reframing. I believe God redeems all that he allows. And one of the ways God, I think, is redeeming this is by helping churches think creatively about ways to meet felt need with the good news of God's love. And so it's one thing I'm seeing is creative entrepreneurial thinking. You're seeing churches use digital resources to get the word of God to people that were not receiving it, perhaps otherwise. I'm thinking of a pastor in California that had 8,000 in their online services before the pandemic, 1.2 million in their Easter services. And so there are ways that I'm seeing churches be really creative in this context. And then on the other level, I'm seeing churches and pastors be much more intentional about meeting felt need than perhaps they were before. Being more aware of impoverished in their community, being more engaged in food banks, in backpack giveaways, in home uh, supplies for schools, seeing the opportunity to meet the felt needs that are so urgent in these difficult days, thus earning the right to meet spiritual needs. And do you feel it's those churches, those congregations that did that, that will come out of this stronger and those that became what I call a turtle church and kind of hunkered down uh, may go away? Absolutely. Absolutely believe that is going to be the case. We're already seeing a divide in the culture anyway. Uh, Lynn Stanton, a terrific uh, evangelical researcher, makes the argument that we're seeing great growth in American church among what he would consider to be Bible-believing conservatives who are willing to paint outside the lines who measure growth not just by Sunday morning, but by Tuesday night, by Young Life statistics, by uh, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew statistics, by things happening on college campuses in creative entrepreneurial ways. He is documenting enormous growth at that point. It's more the traditional churches that say, you have to come on Sunday morning to my brick and mortar campus. You have to fit into my structure. You have to have to join to participate. It's kind of like seeing you have to join a mall to, to shop there, you know? You have to join a podcast to listen to it. Uh, that kind of thinking was already on the decline. And I think we're seeing that exacerbating. I'm seeing statistics that as many as a third to half of some of this more mainline, uh, older traditional churches may close in the next year or two for financial reasons. It was already going to be difficult as they got older and grayer anyway. But if we're not willing to adapt to the opportunity that is before us right now in this generational challenge, well, then the future really does not look as, uh, as exciting or as optimistic as it could have been. So the church, would you predict, will be smaller but stronger? Is that fair? 
I think that's true. I think that we're emphasizing community on a level we didn't before. Uh, I was, my last church was a 10,000 member congregation in Dallas, uh, what you would think of as a mega church. And that kind of growth came before I got there and then it continued by God's grace when we were there. But it, it was fueled out of an idea that, and I don't mean this as unkindly as it may sound because I was the pastor of this church. I pastored three other large churches as well. But kind of the idea was we needed to kind of replicate what the culture does and try to do it even better. Uh, we needed our youth programs to be better than what the community could offer. We needed our sports leagues and sports programs to be even better. We needed our music to be even more entertaining. We saw ourselves as competing with the culture. So bigger was always better. And anonymous was what the culture wanted. And so uh, we just kind of, we're kind of pushing in this institutional direction. What I think I'm seeing now is a move that wants family. It wants community that knows my name. It wants people that will be there for me in difficult times because these may not be the last difficult times. And it may be that we'll get smaller and larger. We may see more home groups that gather together for what they can do together, whether it's an online worship service or a massive service in some big place. Might be like the Church of Pentecost where they had 3,000 that were saved. Well, I've been to Israel 30 times. Love leading study tours to Israel. I can tell you there was no place in the book of Acts where 3,000 Christians could have met at one time for one worship service in a way that the authorities would have allowed. And so they were meeting in small groups and home groups, but then they were gathering as they could at Lecture Hall of Tyrannus, as Paul was doing, others like that. I see us being smaller and yet bigger in collective ways to do missions together, maybe to do online ministries together, but to be more concerned about a community at the same time. And to have influence in the culture. It sounds kind of biblical. It kind of does, doesn't it? And isn't that the good news? I've been saying a lot of us actually have been saying for a while that the 21st century will look more like the first century than any in between. And I really believe that's true. In the first century, we were pre-denomination. Now we're kind of post-denominational. In the first century, we had no buildings. Now in the 21st century, buildings are in many ways seen as irrelevant. First century had no clergy. Now clergy is seen as irrelevant, if not on some level suspect. In the first century, it was this, you could almost call it postmodern in the first century, the sense of no such thing as truth just your truth and my truth and Aristotelian and Platonic and mystery cults and Zeus and Apollos and all of that. Here we are in a relativistic culture again. Well, by Acts 17.6, they had turned the world upside down. God can do, in fact, God is doing that again. We're seeing a fifth grade awakening around the world. We're seeing more Muslims come to Christ than ever before. Where I'm being told by missionaries in Israel that they're seeing more Jewish responses to Jesus than ever before. I was told by a missionary in Beijing that he thought 100,000 people every day were coming to Christ in the underground church in China. I was told in Cairo that they're seeing an explosion in Christian ministries in Cairo and in Egypt right now. There are visions and dreams of Jesus in the Muslim world that are so significant that a group in Egypt actually took out billboards and said, have you seen a man in a white robe? Well, call this number to find out who he is because Jesus was appealing to so many Muslims in a white robe in visions and dreams. God is on the march today. Jesus is king. It's just in our culture, we made him a hobby. We separated Sunday and Monday and spiritual and secular and religion in the real world. When we make him our king, we join what the kingdom is doing and these could be our best days. So what we see is negative. God uses, and we see it doing. Jim, thank you for being a part of this. I want to tell you, a good friend of mine uh, 
Don Lewis, a, a, a Texas native, told me about you, and that's why I connected. Not everybody knows Don Lewis, so can you tell the folks how to connect with your daily article? <laughs> well, they could call Don, I suppose, but thank you for that. Uh, the website's denisonforum.org, D-E-N-I-S-O-N forum.org. That's where they can see the daily article, they can see the podcasts, the videos, the white papers, the books. All our digital resources are free. All of that is available through that. They can subscribe to the daily article if they wish to do that. And uh, that would be the portal through which to come to the content. Thank you very much, Dr. Jim Jennison, founder of Denison Forum, for being part of the Post-COVID Church podcast. Privileged to be here today. God bless. Thank you for listening to Post-COVID Church Mission. Helping the church plan and serve the post-pandemic world, please share those ideas. I'm Stuart Kellogg. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. You can find much more at the Post-COVID Church group on Facebook or on the website, thepostcovidchurch.com.